Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I'm very proud to say that this episode of Macabre London is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash macabre london audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from from your iphone android kindle or mp3 player and i'll be recommending one of those books later on in the show London today is a bustling metropolis, an exciting place to visit and a somewhat safe place to call home. An eclectic mix of people from all over the world live in London, and the crime rate is dropping year on year. In some parts of this vibrant capital, the crime rate is lower than that of much smaller cities in other parts of the UK. However, things haven't always been so safe. Stories and tales of old have echoed around these streets and grown to become that of legend, particularly those of gruesome nature. Today we'll be exploring one of those stories and discovering about London's often bloody past. My name is Nikki Drews and this is Macabre London. London claims to be the most haunted capital city in the world. With centuries of history ingrained in its streets, it's no wonder that the city's heart beats beyond the grave. Christmas is one of those times when the city becomes quiet, the hustle and bustle of everyday life subsides, and you can find the streets deserted. Along with the traditions of tinsel, trees, presents and turkey, something more sinister juxtaposes and jars with the jolly holiday. Ghost stories precede the Victorian Christmas traditions we have come to know and love. Their origins go way back to the pagan rituals of the winter solstice celebrations, when groups of friends and family would gather around a special fire made of special fuel. The largest log would be picked from the woodpile, 
and in some instances be decorated and scented with pine and other fragrant plants to welcome back the return of the sun on the shortest day, but the longest night. The thought being that this yule log would burn through the night until all that remained was its glowing embers when the sun was to rise the next day. In welcoming the sun, the pagans bid the crone of winter farewell and greeted the maiden of the sun, spring and longer days ahead, which would lead to more prosperity. The night of the winter solstice would be long and celebrations would go on into the small hours before finally winding down around the fire. Thoughts turning to waving the winter gloom goodbye, it was an obvious choice to tell stories of ghostly apparitions, spirits and things that go bump in the night, and so the tradition of the Christmas Eve ghost story was born. Nowadays we've moved the day to coincide with the more popular tradition of Christmas, but the sentiment is still the same. Time to bid farewell to the ghosts of the year past, and to welcome in the new of the coming year. If ever a writer was to embody this sentiment more, it would be that of Charles Dickens and his classic tale, A Christmas Carol. Dickens was inspired to write his wintry tale after having read a government-issued report in 1843, where he became increasingly appalled at its contents. In the report, women and children were being given no other option than to work long hours without rest in squalid, dangerous and unsanitary conditions. Dickens felt that he had to make a comment on the social inequalities of the poor, and he knew that he would be able to write a story that would hopefully tug on the heartstrings of those who could make a difference. Dickens was no stranger to poverty himself. His father was imprisoned in Marshalsea Prison for accruing debts by living beyond his means. The second eldest of eight children, Charles had to grow up quickly when at 12 years of age he found himself having to pay for his own bed and board and to help look after the rest of the family. He worked 10-hour days in a factory that made boot polish, his job being to stick labels to pots. The Industrial Revolution had been prosperous for the Victorians and did help to pave the way for a lot of future developments and commerce for Britain, but larger cities like Manchester and London faced the crippling poverty that also went along with a booming growth period. The rich got richer and the poor got poorer. Factories became living quarters for many women and children, and they were called workhouses. Children who were orphaned and families without a working patriarch were often imprisoned inside the walls only to work and be fed. The conditions weren't getting any better for poor families in London, and diseases and conditions of the poor were soon regularly seen, such as whooping cough, scurvy and rickets. Victorian England was not a pleasant place to live if you were living below the breadline. After a few long months had passed for Charles, working in the boot polish factory, he was relieved of his duty after his father was released from prison, having received a payment from his deceased grandmother for £450. This payment satiated his debtors, and Dickens' father could return to family life. Not everything was well with Charles's parents' relationship, and by this point, things were definitely strained between them. Charles's mother was hesitant to have him returned home from the lodging and working he had become accustomed to over the last few months. She wanted him to learn how to fend for himself. With this, Charles developed a deep hatred for his mother and resented her even after he was allowed to return. This would go on to affect him in his own relationships later on in life and he would always have a misogynistic approach to any woman he would encounter, going so far as to say that women were not fit to rule a household. In the 1830s, Dickens was unsure what to do with his career. 
but after taking various jobs at law firms, he then stumbled across becoming a journalist. His love of the theatre also started to bloom, and Charles was soon visiting the theatre on a nightly basis. He knew that he wanted to be on the stage, but writing was a new passion project for him. He landed a job as an editor for a parliamentary newspaper, but soon began writing stories. His first, A Dinner at Poplar Walk, was published in the London-based monthly magazine. It wasn't long until Dickens' popularity grew with his work, appearing in several magazines and papers. The Pickwick papers, Nicholas Nickleby and Oliver Twist were all published in instalments, but eventually turned into books. His most popular work, however, would come in the disguise of a warning to those of Victorian Britain to treat their fellow humans as equals. Queen Victoria was relatively new to the throne when Dickens began his writing, and society as a whole looked to the young queen to set the fashion for the time. With her marriage to Prince Albert in 1840, she adopted much of the German traditions that he practised around Christmas, such as a decorated tree and a feast of epic proportions on the day itself. Up until 1834, Christmas Day wasn't celebrated as anything out of the ordinary. It was just another working day. Papers would be published, shops would be open, and life would continue as normal. Only after that time did a bank holiday appear, and people would cease their regular routine in order to attend church for the day. The celebration seen in A Christmas Carol was a proportionate reaction to changing fashions at the time. Inside the Queen's Palace, decorated trees would be hung from the chandeliers, and fires were a regular occurrence with candles being placed on the real wooden branches. People looked to the royals in a way which has been lost to us now with modern celebrity, but Dickens was not completely fooled by this. As he'd been celebrating Christmas for a few years, he knew that turkey, trees and Chris Dingles was something he could now afford on his writer's wage, but he liked to keep himself grounded. In the evening, he would often go for walks into the slums, and there he would see large families just like his own from his youth, but also into his future as he eventually had ten children of his own with his wife, Catherine Hogarth. He would see young children on the streets in tattered clothes and buildings bursting at the seams with overcrowding. It made him feel socially responsible to tell the plight of the families who wouldn't get to learn of the new Christmas he had been fortunate to be able to afford. When writing A Christmas Carol, it was important for Dickens to portray the extreme poverty he had witnessed on his walks, but also to convey a message that all could be made right if people looked to themselves and opened their hearts. In creating the book, Dickens spared no expense as he wanted the book to be beautiful and illustrated. This did have somewhat of a backward effect on his ideal that every home should have a copy of the book, but nonetheless, when it was published in 1843, it was an immediate hit, selling over 6,000 copies in just over a month. The overview of the story is this. A mean and miserly old man named Ebenezer Scrooge sits in his counting house on a cold Christmas Eve. Bob Cratchit, Scrooge's employee, is freezing whilst working in the anteroom because Scrooge considers spending money on coal a frivolous expense. Scrooge's nephew, Fred, drops by and invites his uncle to his annual Christmas party. Two gentlemen also appear to ask Scrooge for a contribution to their charity. Scrooge is unimpressed by his visitors and shouts, Bar humbug, in response to Fred's Merry Christmas. After returning to his cold and dank small abode, Scrooge is visited by the ghost of Jacob Marley. Marley, who was once Scrooge's business partner, recounts the tale of how the afterlife has treated him so far. 
As punishment for his greedy ways in life, his spirit has been condemned to wander the earth, weighted down by clanking heavy chains in death. Marley appears to Scrooge in the hope that he can save him from suffering the same fate. Marley tells Scrooge that the three spirits will visit him during each of the next three nights. Scrooge then drifts off into a restless and haunted sleep. Waking moments before the ghost of Christmas past appears, the childlike spirit takes Scrooge on a journey into the past, visiting Christmases from earlier years. Scrooge revisits his school days, his apprenticeship with a jolly merchant named Fezziwig, and his engagement to Belle, a woman who leaves Scrooge as his love for money is greater than his love for her. Scrooge sees the vast mistakes he's made throughout his life and feels full of regret. The ghost returns him to his bed before disappearing into the night. The ghost of Christmas present is the next to arrive. A tall man who wears a green fur coat, he takes Scrooge through London and reveals Christmas as it will happen that year. Scrooge watches the Cratchit family prepare a miniature feast in their small and cold home. Scrooge sees Bob Cratchit's crippled son, Tiny Tim, a boy whose kindness and triumph over adversity warms Scrooge's heart. The ghost then takes Scrooge to witness Fred, his nephew's, Christmas party. Scrooge enjoys the party and pleads with the spirit to stay until the very end. As the day passes, the ghost ages, becoming noticeably older. Toward the end of their time together, the ghost shows Scrooge two starved children, ignorance and want, who have been living under his coat the whole time. The ghost of Christmas present disappears. Scrooge notices a dark, hooded figure coming toward him. The ghost of Christmas yet to come leads Scrooge through a sequence of mysterious scenes relating to an unnamed man's recent death. Scrooge sees businessmen discussing the dead man's riches, some vagabonds trading his personal effects for cash, and a poor couple expressing relief at the death of their unforgiving creditor. Scrooge, anxious to learn the lesson of his latest visitor, begs to know the name of the dead man. After pleading with the ghost, Scrooge finds himself in a churchyard, the spirit pointing to a grave. Scrooge looks at the headstone and is shocked to read his own name. He desperately implores the spirit to alter his fate, promising to renounce his insensitive, avaricious ways and to honour Christmas with all his heart. As soon as the words have left his lips, Scrooge finds himself in his own bed and awake. Overwhelmed with joy by the chance to redeem himself and grateful that he has been returned to Christmas Day, Scrooge rushes out onto the street, hoping to share his newfound Christmas spirit. He sends a giant Christmas turkey to the Cratchit house and attends... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And Fred's party. As the years go by. 
He holds true to his promise and honours Christmas with all his heart. He treats Tiny Tim as if he were his own child, provides lavish gifts to the poor and treats his fellow human beings with kindness, generosity and warmth. If anything, we still use this sentiment around Christmas time now. The impetus to give back to those less fortunate and to help those in need with charity donations or sparing a few hours to volunteer somewhere that benefits from people power has become a Christmas tradition. So all in all, Dickens may have had his foibles, but he did help to make society better in its own small way. But what about those ghosts of London? Were they something that Dickens dreamt up, or were they maybe hiding on the streets all along? To wrap up this episode, it only seems fitting to read one of my favourite passages from the book, which goes a little something like this. Up Scrooge went, not caring a button for it being very dark. Darkness is cheap, and Scrooge liked it. But before he shut his heavy door, he walked through his rooms to see that all was right. Sitting room, bedroom, lumber room, as all they should be. Nobody under the table, nobody under the sofa, a small fire in the grate, spoon and basin ready, and the little saucepan of gruel upon the hob. Nobody under the bed, nobody in the closet, nobody in his dressing gown, which was hanging up in a suspicious attitude against the wall. Lumber room as usual, old fire guard, old shoes, two fish baskets, washing stand on three legs, and a poker. Quite satisfied, he closed the door and locked himself in. Double locked himself in, which was not his custom. Thus secured against surprise, he took off his cravat, put on his dressing gown and slippers and his nightcap, and sat down before the very low fire to take his gruel. As he threw his head back in the chair, his glance happened to rest upon a bell, a disused bell, that hung in the room and communicated, for some purpose now forgotten with a chamber in the highest story of the building. It was with great astonishment, and with a strange inexplicable dread, that, as he looked, he saw this bell begin to swing. Soon it rang out loudly, and so did every bell in the house. This was succeeded by a clanking noise, deep down below, as if some person were dragging a heavy chain over the casks in the wine merchant's cellar. Then he heard the noise much louder, on the floors below, then coming up the stairs, then coming straight towards his door. It came on through the heavy door, and a spectre passed into the room before his eyes, and upon its coming in, the dying flame leaped up, as though it cried, I know him, Marley's ghost. The same face, the very same, Marley in his pigtail, usual waistcoat, tights and boots, His body was transparent, so that Scrooge, observing him and looking through his waistcoat, could see the two buttons on his coat behind. Scrooge had often said that Marley had no bowels, but he never believed it until now. No, nor did he believe it even now. Though he looked the phantom through and through, and saw it standing before him, though he felt the chilling influence of its death, cold eyes, and noticed the very texture of the folded kerchief, bound about its head and chin, He was still incredulous. "'How now?' said Scrooge, caustic and cold as ever. "'What do you want with me?' "'Much. Marley's voice. No doubt about it. "'Who are you? Ask me who I was. "'Who were you, then? In life I was your partner, Jacob Marley. "'Can you... can you sit down? 
I can. Do it then. Scrooge asked the question because he didn't know whether a ghost so transparent might find himself in a condition to take a chair, and felt that, in the event of its being impossible, it might involve the necessity of an embarrassing explanation. But the ghost sat down on the opposite side of the fireplace, as if he were quite used to it. You don't believe in me. I don't. What evidence would you have of my reality beyond that of your senses? I don't know. Why do you doubt your senses? Because a little thing affects them. A slight disorder of the stomach makes them cheats. You may be an undigested bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of an underdone potato. There's more gravy than of a grave about you, whatever you are. Scrooge was not much in the habit of cracking jokes, nor did he feel in his heart by any means waggish then. The truth is that he tried to be smart as a means of distracting his own attention and keeping down his horror. But how much greater was his horror when the phantom taking off the bandage round its head, as if it were too warm to wear indoors, its lower jaw dropped upon its breast. Mercy, dreadful apparition, why do you trouble me? Why do spirits walk the earth and why do they come to me? It is required of every man that the spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow men and travel far and wide, and if that spirit goes not forth in life, it is condemned to do so after death. I cannot tell you all I would. A very little more is permitted to me. I cannot rest, I cannot stay, I cannot linger anywhere. My spirit never walked beyond our counting house. Mark me. In life, my spirit never roved beyond the narrow limits of our money-changing hole, and weary journeys lie before me. Seven years dead, and travelling all the time. You travel fast. On the wings of the wind. You might have got over a great quantity of ground in seven years. Oh, blind man, blind man. Not to know that ages of incessant labour by immortal creatures of this earth must pass into eternity before the good of which it is susceptible is all developed. Not to know that any Christian spirit working kindly in its little sphere, whatever it may be, will find its mortal life too short for its vast means of usefulness. Not to know that no space of regret can make amends for one life's opportunities misused. Yet I was like this man. I once was like this man. But you were always a good man of business, Jacob, faltered Scrooge, who now began to apply this to himself. Business, cried the ghost, wringing its hands again. Mankind was my business, the common welfare was my business, charity, mercy, forbearance, benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. Scrooge was very much dismayed to hear the spectre going on at this rate, and began to quake exceedingly. Hear me, my time is nearly gone. I will, but don't be hard upon me, don't be flowery, Jacob, pray. I am here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate, a chance and hope of my procuring, Ebenezer. You were always a good friend to me. You will be haunted by three spirits. Is that the chance and hope you mentioned, Jacob? I, I think I'd rather not. Without their visits, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first tomorrow night, when the bell tolls one. Expect the second on the next night, at the same hour. The third, upon the next night, when the last stroke of twelve has ceased to vibrate. Look to see me no more, and look that, for your own sake, you remember what has passed between us. It walked backward from him, and at every step it took, the window raised itself a little, so that when the apparition reached it, it was wide open. 
Scrooge closed the window and examined the door by which the ghost had entered. It was double locked, as he had locked it with his own hands, and the bolts were undisturbed. Scrooge tried to say humbug, but stopped at the first syllable, and being from the emotion he had undergone, or the fatigues of the day, or his glimpse of the invisible world, or the dull conversation of the ghost, or the lateness of the hour, much in need of repose, he went straight to bed without undressing and fell asleep on the instant. Thank you all so much for supporting the podcast over the last year. I really hope you've enjoyed the episodes I've produced and I hope you'll continue to support us next year. We'll be back in January with another episode and we also have some excellent things planned for 2018 with more crossover episodes with different podcasts and even some longer, more in-depth serials spanning over a few episodes at a time. If you're enjoying the podcast, then you can support us in a number of ways. One easy thing to do is to simply review the podcast. All reviews help us to reach other listeners and we appreciate every single one. Reviewing has been made even easier if you're an Apple user as all you need to do is type in Macabre London into the search function on Apple Podcasts. Click on the thumbnail which says Macabre London and then you'll be able to hit the star rating below. You don't even have to write anything. Lastly, I just wanted to give a few thank yous to those people who have helped with the podcast this year, supported us online, or generally just been excellent humans making amazing content that I've thoroughly enjoyed. So big thanks go to Bob from the Weird Tales and the Unexplainable podcast, Katie and Charlie from the Morbid History podcast, John and Mike from the Unexplainers podcast, Angel and Nikki from Colour Me Dead podcast, and I can't wrap up without giving some shout-outs to just some of our fantastic listeners. Christina Dawson, Dickens Springate, Stephen Greaves, Hamish Jones, Chris Strawn, and Michelle Lincoln, who've truly gone above and beyond to spread the word about the podcast this year. And finally, one last infinite thank you to Acast for hosting the podcast. Merry Christmas to each and every one of you. Don't forget to pop by and say hi on our social media at Macabre London on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And we'll see you all in 2018. Yes? Bob Cratchit? Yes? This is for you. Well, there must be some mistake. You are Bob Cratchit? Yes. Well, there ain't no mistake. I didn't order this. This here prize turkey was bought and paid for by a gentleman to be delivered to Bob Cratchit and family in time for Christmas dinner. What gentleman? What's his name? Anonymous. He wishes to remain anonymous. Anonymous, you said? That's what he said, an anonymous gentleman. Well, who could have sent it? I have no idea. Perhaps it's a mistake. That's what I thought. It's got our name and address on it, though. What should we do, then? I say we cook it and eat it and have the best Christmas feast we've ever had in our lives. And I say, Mrs. Cratchit... What a splendid idea. <laughs> and God bless us all, everyone. And God bless us all, everyone. For you, the listeners of Macabre London, Audible is offering you a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service and to see what audiobooks are all about. There's a ton of books to choose from on Audible, but let me give you some pointers of where to start. I've been enjoying London, the biography by Peter Ackroyd. Now, if you've ever seen this book in its physical form, you'll know that it's huge. It's too heavy to comfortably carry around in a bag, 
but with Audible, the beauty is no heavy books. London The Biography is broken up into manageable sections on Audible, so you can just listen to the chapters you're interested in, and you don't necessarily have to commit to listening to the 800-page book in full. I'm currently enjoying the section on Fire and Pestilence, read by Simon Callow, if enjoying is the right word to use. So why not give it a go? Of course, you don't just have to listen to history. If you fancy giving Harry Potter a listen, then that's all there too and read by national treasure Stephen Fry. Or you may want to give Katie Price's new novel a go, but don't want to be seen reading it in public. Well, then Audible is just for you. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com forward slash macabre London. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash macabre London for your free audiobook. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.